Joe, I've come to see you on your deathbed. I can't believe you're leaving. No, no. You're dying. No, I'm just taking a glamour shot. But you're dying while you're taking a glamour shot. Yeah, boredom because the photographer wanted to take a picture. But you said that the trees were killing you. Oh, oh, you mean getting jizzed in my nose? Yeah. Yeah, no, that is true, though. Yeah, so you are dying, right? Well, violated is more the term. Hmm, that sort of takes away from the funeral experience I was, uh, I had come dressed for. Oh, no, no, that's fine. We can head to the Elysium and, and goth it up later if you want. Yeah, okay, that'll work for me. But, uh, you know what we need to bring? Uh, booze? Well, yeah. Okay. But, but first, we need to have some beer here because, uh, you know, we're going to review some movies. I only drink absinthe when I go to the Elysium. I'm Chris. I'm Joe. And uh, and also guest starring this week is all the ejaculate from the trees in Austin. That's right. Boy, uh, you poor allergy sufferers. You're just dying. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like everybody's worst bukkake scene. It's February, aka the beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're, we're we be grilling. You know, doing laying out by the pool. Yeah. I. I, I was not ready for this yet. I was like, I was, but I was still enjoying wearing pants. Well, Austin doesn't have seasons. It's just got fits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's summer, but then it like has like periods. It just gets depressed. Not so summer. <laughs> anyway. Uh, thank you so much for listening to digital noise. Please click on our links at the bottom of the page. You're going to see a bunch of Amazon links on there that each one will take you to the, the item in question that we are talking about this week uh, for one of the movies or TV shows we're reviewing. If you click on that, buy it through that link, we get a kickback, but you can also buy anything as, on Amazon, and we get a kickback as long as you start from one of our links. So anytime you're going to buy something from Amazon, go to one of our digital noise page, pages, click on those links, and you'll be doing us a favor. But it's got to be something legal, guys. Don't No no more child brides, okay? Yeah, is that on Amazon? Some, par- some parts of it. I think it's just Russian brides now. Oh, okay. Russian That's fine. Nobody brides. cares about them. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> uh, also, you'll see there's some new links on there as well. For instance, we have the Fandango link, oh. which uh, anything that anytime you're going to go see a movie, please buy your tickets to a <laughs> Fandango link. We get a kickback. Or Sideshow Toys. Sideshow Collectibles make some of the greatest toys in the world. I would arguably say just the greatest toys in the world. Are we talking about, like, fun toys? No, they're toys that you would, like, have a fit if, like, your niece or nephew came over when you were babysitting and so much it glanced at them. I think we're talking about the same thing. (laughs) The the (laughs) hyper-realistic, rather expensive, but, like, the best of the best collector's items. Right, yeah. and I know some of you guys out there actually do. You save up and you buy one of those things because they're the sort of thing you save up for. Uh, if you're going to do that, please do it to our link because <laughs> I know those things are kind of expensive on there, but they're worth every penny. And if you do it through there, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but we get a bonus through there as well. Uh, also, you know, of course, becoming a subscriber has more benefits than ever. Uh, the first three tiers of it, you 
each one, the first tier, you get the weekly breakfast pub with all sorts of movie news and trailers. Second tier, you brown coats, you get the original gentleman, a bi-weekly show with myself, Martin, Bo, and a, an array of guests talking about any, various and sundry things in our culture. That's right. And the third tier, you get weekly commentaries for movies that you can sync up with movies and watch. Uh, next next week, we have coming up Streets of Fire. With, That's right. With Joe. You're going to love it, people. If you haven't seen it before, watch it. Or just, just wait until we do it and then watch it with us. Uh, but in the meantime, we're here to review movies. So let's just go ahead and say the magic word. Uh, the uh, reviews. <coughs> and we're going to start off with... Uh, uh, the greatest story ever told. Vin Diesel's... like. Basically, his his card he's been waiting to play till he had enough money and and like power in the industry to say, I don't care what you guys say, we're gonna make a movie out of my Dungeons and Dragons character. That's right. Which is literally what the Last Witch Hunter is. And boy, does it feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny because like I I don't on the surface have any problem with that that conceit of like okay, well I love this character, I've been playing him for 30 years and I, mm-hmm. I want to evolve it into like a movie story because you know, I know what that's like, you build that character and his stories, you have an sure, idea who yeah. he really is, you want to build that into it and Vin Diesel's had a sort of fetish for that sort of character building his whole career, I mean look mm-hmm. at Riddick mm-hmm. is much the same type of thing, this feels like it, this is him going, god I want to start a new franchise out of this character and I'm thinking that's possible that's not actually what's going to happen I mean, I mean, ninety million budget, one hundred and forty point four million box office. Not really what you call a slam kind of dunk. Return. No, yeah. <laughs> but you know, this movie should have been even with everything I said about it better than it was. It really should have. <laughs> well, um, there's a certain podcast on there. I don't know if you've heard of it called Randy Plays Games. Yeah. Uh, and after watching this, it reminded me of, uh, there's this one campaign where they're doing this Ravenloft thing. Oh, okay. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of that. A little bit. A little, just, just a teeny, Slightly teeny bit. Slightly less cinematic. Almost had a sun sword. <laughs> uh, Vin Diesel plays Calder, who was a witch hunter in, like, you know, fantasy middle ages, who, uh, was chasing down the witch that, that, that killed his family and basically went to her knowing he was going to die killing her. But the witch, the last minute, cursed him with eternal life, which is like, where do I get that kind of Yeah, curse? That sounds Sorry. not so terrible. So uh, centuries later, and it's modern day in the city, he works for this organization called the Axe and Cross, which is now, instead of hunting witches, is in charge of keeping the truce between humans and witches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so they're mm-hmm. like, it's an uneasy truce, but it's been going on for a really long time. His, uh, you know, best buddy slash, you know, like, handler is Michael Caine. Of course. Uh, totally uh, not Alfred. No, no, no. <laughs> no, we swear. He's not Alfred. Uh, he's pretty much Alfred. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, who is the, the, the most recent in the whole series of these... Uh, people who take on this role of being the guy specifically they're called dolans specifically of working with him who they all their organization knows he's in a pretty much unstoppable immortal badass yeah just just kind of like a point and click kill interface but uh basically they find out that there is something going on and there's somebody is using magic the way they aren't, they aren't supposed to be doing and killing people and his uh his buddy michael kane gets put into a snow white sleep and he's got only so much time 
to find the blah, 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 and, right. and, and figure out who is the person behind all this and stirring up shit before his buddy dies. And he's got the help of the guy who's supposed to be replacing him. Uh, Eli yeah. Wood. Yeah. Elijah Wood, who comes in literally, like, it, it kind of entertainingly at first, mm-hmm. and then disappears until, like, the second half of the third act of this film. Well, he was like, hey, fellas, I got three days. Yeah, I, that's what it felt like. <laughs> You're like, wait, shouldn't this relationship have, especially because they really weighed on it in the trailer. Yeah, you thought they were gonna, it was gonna be like a buddy cop sort of thing. Oh, but it is, except not with him. No, it's, it's with the love interest they jam in, just like in Riddick. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, God, what is a uh, Rose Leslie from, mm-hmm. uh, Game of Thrones plays Chloe, who is a, you know, mid-level powered witch who's, you know, scared of him like all witches are, but they're not enemies. I was just going to say a ginger. Yeah, a ginger, hot ginger, (laughs) who teams up with him to find out what's going on and lots and lots of CG. Mm, Tons. Yeah, just CG everywhere. (laughs) And uh, so... Aside from the bad plot, the naming conventions are, oh, just, you know, you want to say, that, oh, it was written by a fifth grader. No, this was written by a disinterested 16-year-old who had to do this for a creative writing project. That's kind of what it feels like. When, when uh, I lost my shit when they said, witch jail. <laughs> because it's just witch everything. Yeah, every, everything <laughs> in their world. Can you... Can you do me a favor and heat up this burrito in the witch microwave? Oh, I'm sorry, witch burrito. Yeah, that's right. No, no, that burrito. Witch burrito, (laughs) third base. I don't know. I mean, like, there's points of this I was entertained by it. I mean, it's certainly better than the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Sure, no Wayne's. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I would recommend this any day of the week over the D&D movie, and it's still a D&D movie. What I thought was weird was they put a lot of money into the CG. Uh-huh. Still not mesmerizing. No. No, there was it, it wasn't that it didn't look good. It was that from a creative standpoint it just wasn't that interesting. No. No, like that that one kid going magic missiles on uh, on YouTube yeah. was a lot more visually interesting than Yeah. This. Yeah, no, I agree. It it's just it suffers from what feels like ultimately being a bit rushed. Mm-hmm. And which is weird, considering Vin Diesel supposedly been working on this thing for like a decade. Yeah, he's got to work on his storyboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, well, he needs to work on Punch Up because this mm-hmm. thing's not anywhere near as funny as he thinks it is at points. Oh no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and just the fact that this movie stops dead in its tracks every twenty minutes to give you an uh, earful of exposition mm-hmm. when you're like. You know, I like the stories where you kind of come in in the middle of a badass's story, but I kind of prefer it, like, if instead of explaining to me every detail, somebody goes, like, trust me, you're better off not knowing. Well, I (laughs) I, I think the big problem is if you wanted to make it a franchise, uh, he definitely should have pulled it out a little bit more and elongated it, and definitely don't finish the campaign in the first show. No. No. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I'm watching this, I'm going, okay, Less than three years before the CW picks this up as a television show with somebody who's like son of Calder or something like that, you know, Mark Diesel. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying though. It's like, yeah. like this is like this feels like CW material that really would have loaned itself better as a television running series than as a movie. Or yeah, it starts off as a guest in like Vampire Diaries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or something. Yeah, maybe not Vampire Diaries because okay, nine hundred two one zero. I agree. Yeah, okay, because that always had that supernatural. It really did. Not like that. 
that other uh, show? What's it called? I can't remember. Well, that one character went on. It turned out she was a witch the whole time. So. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, anyway, if this is indeed your sort of thing, and you know what? I even can't. I, I think this is. It's not even bad. It's just mediocre. Yeah. You know, if it's your sort of thing, and and whatever, fine. There's some extra features on here, but most of them are just pretty standard EPKs, except for a few four animated, very like you know three minute films that are just yet more exposition, but about the <laughs> the axe and the cross and the history mm-hmm. of them. Uh, okay, sure. There's a commentary with the director, Breck Eisner, um, but ultimately, they I think they knew this was not something that was going to like depend on sales on how many extra features. <laughs> well, they what are the on. what are the features like? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm on the fence about buying the last witch witch hunter. Uh, next up is a very different type of movie. Yeah, uh, it felt it felt not rushed. Uh, called Freeheld. Uh, this is a based on a true uh, story film starring uh, Julianne Moore and Ellen Page <coughs> as a uh, w- very distanced and aged couple. Yes. <laughs> she is, uh, Julianne Moore plays a experienced tough as nails cop. Yeah, I'm a detective. <laughs> yeah, and Ellen Page is a mechanic, a young mechanic, and, and uh, Julianne Moore's, you know, she's gay, but she's always kept it completely from everyone. Like, nobody knows she's gay. Right. Including her partner and best friend, played by Michael Shannon. Hey, any movie is improved by the presence of Michael Shannon. Isn't it, though? Uh, and she gets into kind of a secret <laughs> relationship with Ellen page but everything starts to come out you know they get really serious they literally move in together yeah everything starts to come out literally when it turns out she's in stage four lung cancer and she's gonna die uh the problem here is that the city does not want to extend her pension benefits to her partner mm-hmm. uh, who is mm-hmm. they've got a legal domestic partnership yada yada by state rules they're supposed to apparently the city has some sort of loophole where they don't have to if they don't want to mm-hmm. so and this turned into a real life big thing isn't yes it? you know and and a political you know very much a a, a political standard ground uh thing for uh, garden state equality which was a uh, organization that was specifically about fighting for gay legal rights here the leader of that group played uh Rather flamboyantly by Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of these that I feel like this isn't, you know, I mean, this is an interesting story, but why weren't you telling this Hollywood when it was still something we were fighting for? Right, yeah. As, as, as opposed, opposed to, to now. now. You're like going, so what was the, at this point, it just feels like, yeah, you're 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 patting yourself on the back for not actually having done anything, being brave enough to do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was... I, I I liked them together. I felt that it was kind of cute that uh, Julianne Moore's character could just not get that stick out of her ass. <laughs> yeah, she was a little sticky. It's true. Well, I mean, she's a, she's a cop. Well, know? right. That's, that's <laughs> the ultimate stick up your ass profession. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she gets benefits because of it. Oh, wait. Just her. <laughs> they didn't tell the story where she murdered a bunch of black people on the job. But, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's next season. Uh, I don't know. I think ultimately about this, it was just very <coughs> almost kind of movie of the week-ish. You know, mm, I, I can mean, see that. I mean, I think the performances of Greta Ellen Page especially did a really good job in this. But I, I don't know. There's just like this doesn't go anywhere that you don't already know it's going, even without knowing what happened. Well, and even the form of it is just uh, very tired. Like like the the long rum- rambling kind of indie music with with like the 
the the beat that just keeps going on and on and on, played so, somewhat lightly while they do montages. Yeah, I mean that's not surprising. This is directed by Peter Solit, who did Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, <laughs> <laughs> which was like the ultimate like hipster playbook movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so not so surprising that plays out this way as well. I don't know. It just. Hollywood has been trying desperately to show in the last year, look, we care about gay people. We're mm-hmm. making high-profile gay movies. And none of them have been standout, in my opinion, yet. Like, I think Carol was as close to a standout one as they got. And even that was, like, a really lesser Todd Haynes film. Yeah, that's true. Like, uh, I, I feel that that Milk was just kind of... Yeah. Well, I liked Milk. Actually, I like Milk better than any of the films that came out this year <laughs> for, for that uh, sort of thing. But still, even so, it was like, yeah, you were like, there's a better film waiting to come out. And yeah. it's not Stonewall. No. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, for real, it's okay. I mean, it's an important <laughs> thing that happened, and it's got good performances. It's just kind of workmanlike. Uh, and sure enough, there's like a few extras on here. There's like a 14-minute making of thing. Uh, there's a brief look at basically what happened, you know, after her with her legacy and mm-hmm. the foundations and her name. And then there's the original Academy Award-winning documentary short uh, that was called Free Hell that was the inspiration for the film, which is probably better than, the you know, a more of reason own this than the movie well, itself. Well, this movie did do one thing for me. Yeah. It made me realize that with the haircut, when Ellen Page squints, she mm-hmm. looks like Haley Joe Osment. Yeah, she does kind of. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that before, but yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There's Hollywood secrets. Who knew? Maybe they're related. Oh, they have to be. <laughs> Next up is Man Up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a movie that I, if I remember correctly, Richard was really dreading. We saw, we <laughs> talked about the trailer for this, and he was like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, he's not a big Simon Pegg fan, uh, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact Simon tends to talk out of his ass uh-huh. a lot about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're like, I think he's just kind of, he's like, you Americans, you're all obsessed yeah. with Simon Pegg, and like, he's kind of a shitty old. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, but he, so. he, he plays it pretty well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this is like a romantic comedy with Lake Bell surprisingly doing a really convincing English accent yeah, she all, did. all the way through. Like, you never for a second go into the whole, oh, come on. With the yeah, accent. but yeah, I mean, she she definitely did her homework. There were a lot of mannerisms and and, and little nuances when she spoke that you yeah. could tell that she was she was studying with a dialect coach. Yeah, yeah, no, she does a great job here. She plays a woman who is like has she's thirty four years old. She's convinced herself <laughs> that maybe she's just not supposed to be in a relationship. Yeah, you know, at this point, and she's on the train going to visit uh, her parents because they're having like a wedding anniversary party. She's supposed to go there to give a speech, and she meets this really annoying uh, woman on the train who's like, "You'd look depressed. You should read this book. One it's a help book. You should. Yeah. It'll, it'll change your life." I'm meeting a blind date. Uh, and we're both going to be holding this book at this place at the train station, and because we both love it, and we're, it's going to be wonderful. She's like, whatever, and tells the woman literally, shut the fuck up and leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, this conversation's <laughs> done. Yeah, it goes to sleep, wakes up, the woman's gone, and the book is left there with a note, basically like, hey, you should read this. So she runs out trying to catch up with this woman, who she can kind of see in the distance. 
you know, like I, she just wants to give her a book back and probably say something snarky. Right. Uh, as, as is her, as I would probably feel the same way. It's like, fuck you pushing your shit on me. Well, I'd uh, take a shit in it first and then give it well, to yeah, her. Well, yeah, probably that. That goes without saying. Unless I didn't have to poop, and then that'd be a problem. <laughs> and then you'd just pee, I guess. I guess. Uh, it's I not the same. It, yeah, no. Uh, so she, she goes and she, it turns out she's staying in the exact place at the exact right time when Simon Pegg is the other guy and shows up and's like, hey, and is really charming and she's like, I kind of like this guy. All right, let's go with this and see what happens, and I'll just pretend I'm this other Well, guy. ladies can't, they cannot resist the the dashing good looks of Simon Pegg. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> there are those out there that can't. Oh, well, my girlfriend's one of them. We watched it together because she wanted to see Simon Pegg. I was like, oh, okay. I, I mean, I get it. The funny guy is the funny guy thing goes. But if, like, you'd never seen Shaun of the Dead or Space or mm-hmm. that stuff, and he was just some guy, you wouldn't look twice. <laughs> In enough. the beefcake lineup. <laughs> and they're really playing up the whole look how charming and funny and smart this guy is thing Mm. and you know i mean i think simon pegg does a decent enough job one of the problems here early on is that you're like so what is it that he is seeing in her because she barely says a word for the first (laughs) half hour of this she's a wall to him yeah and he's like i really like you and you're like why because she doesn't talk. Yeah. Perfect. She does. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And I felt like as it went along, it actually started. It actually kind of dealt with that, like mm. the whole like, well, he's really broken and fucked up, and she. We already know she's broken and fucked up, and the t- after the reveal, which happens sooner than you think it would in the yeah. film, of like, no, okay, it's, now she admits. All right, fine, I. I'm not that woman, and they get super <laughs> mad at each other, but are still kind of stuck with each other for a while. It, it actually got a lot better after that point. It did. I felt there was too much, oh, I like you, I hate you, oh, I like you. <laughs> you know, just like, maybe one less rotation of that and I'd have been happy. Yeah, I mean, like, I've certainly seen this sort of thing done better, but mm-hmm. it's, it has its cute moments, and I thought it came to a really, like, kind of adorable, a perfectly adorable ending. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, did, uh, it did instill the question in me of, uh, apparently, at, in her younger days, she was a little bit of a Billy Badass. And at some point, she just loses all of her self-esteem. Yeah. So just kind of wondering, like, well, what was that about? Yeah, there is, like, this movie actually feels like it was re-edited to the point where things are a little confusing Mm -hmm. at points. But I don't know. I mean, it works more than it doesn't as what it's trying to be, but it's still ultimately a rather unremarkable little piece of fluff romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a... Make dinner for your sweetie at home and then put this on. Yeah. Yeah, assuming this is the sort of movie your sweetie likes. <laughs> Which, if she's into Simon Pegg. Yeah, maybe so. Or it's he's into Lake Bell. Certainly not one of his best films. No. Uh, and there's a few extras. It's like a six and a half minute gag reel, which is probably pretty good. I didn't get a chance to watch it. There's interviews with with both the stars and little clips. And then there's like a 40 minute sort of <laughs> EPK with interviews and behind the scenes footage, which is more than you'd actually expect for this type of film. But... Hey, this is one of these movies you're probably more likely going to catch on Netflix or something like that than yes. actually go out of your way to rent or something. Uh, next up, you did not get to watch this one, uh, but I did. This is the Criterion release of what is arguably Charlie Chaplin's best film. It's okay. I saw it in film school. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. Oh, okay. The Kid. Uh, and this is not only remarkable for the fact it really is one of his best movies and one of his most charming and heartfelt, but it's also the marks a point in just cinematic history of the first child star ever. Mm-hmm. The first cinematic appearance of the first child <laughs> star, which was Jackie Coogan, who went on to be in like a shit ton of movies after that and ended up 
probably more famously, sadly, to this modern age, playing Uncle Fester. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this is also the first appearance of the Tramp character, which uh, which uh, Chap One, of course, played over and over and over again, was so popular. The idea being is that he's a tramp. This unwed woman has a newborn son. Uh, Something. It's a little. I'm not entirely clear how things went from A to B but something about like she left her child in the back of an expensive car with a note on it saying please take care of me uh, oh yeah okay so the car is stolen the two thieves find the, the kid and just leave it in the alley he finds the kid doesn't really want it either but he can't <laughs> get rid of it so he's like it's shortly he's like okay I guess I'm going to have to take care of this I really kid. appreciate that you refer to a kid as it <laughs> well, I didn't even know if it was a boy or girl at that point so it was an it <laughs> uh, that's inappropriate I'm sorry that the child gets the right to choose its own gender identification. That's right. And and, and Jackie Coogan <laughs> chose Uncle Fester. Uh, well, switched to a couple years later. They've been they're they're happily living together as father and son. He's now Jackie Coogan at this mm, point. That's right. Uh, just a little adorable little t- uh, tyke. And uh, you know the two of them have their their little con games. They go out and play to get money and stuff and survive. Uh, and um, meanwhile, the woman in question has become somehow rich and famous. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how that happened. That's not important. Runestones. Yeah, runestones. So she, <laughs> okay, fair enough. I didn't really watch the director's cut. Yeah, it was, it was, well, it was actually in The Last Witch Hunter where they explained it. Oh, this yeah. is like a, The Last Witch Hunter is like a sequel to this. Yeah, yeah. It's a tie-in. That makes sense now. It's all coming mm-hmm. together. Ed Vin Diesel is always referencing Charlie Chaplin. Because it's all about family. <laughs> uh, and she wants to find, like, she didn't think she can find her son. She'd like to. But ultimately, she's just wandering around. <laughs> she's giving not out, opposed to it. No, she's not. Well, because she doesn't think it's even possible. <clears throat> right. But she's go, she gives a lot to charity. She does a lot with children's foundations. She's uh, in and out of the movie. Meanwhile, uh, like, the tramp is dealing with various and sundry people giving him trouble, including... <laughs> uh, uh, Basically, people saying, okay, well, this kid shouldn't even be here at all. This is an inappropriate setting and trying to take him away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of chases and that sort of thing. And ultimately, of course, it all ends happy and what have you. But it really is some of the funnier and cuter work that Chaplin did. You can see why this character became so appealing to a, right, huge, yeah. like, to a generation. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and this being Criterion comes with, of course, a slew of extra features on it. One of the neater ones is actually a, a whole special feature specifically about the history of Jackie Coogan, where he went, which I know is a, you know, he's an actor today. We have no idea who that, that guy is, right. you know, but he was huge for a while. And there's a number of pieces on him, including one of several interviews with him. There's one with Lita Gray Chaplin uh, talking about her contributions to the kid. She later on plays the, the flirting angel in a, a scene towards the end, and she was in the Gold Rush, uh, Mo Rothman, uh, Raleigh Totoro. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, your neighbor. Yeah, he's from, uh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) There's a look at undercranking, which is, you know, basically reducing the amount of uh, uh, footage to uh, uh, 16 F, uh, going from 16 FPS to 14 FPS to be able to get certain visual effects. That was Mm -hmm. a Chaplin sort of thing that he did first. You know, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, look at Chaplin in a much older time in the 70s where he came and conducted a new score for the kid. There's deleted scenes from the 1921 version and original titles. There's a newsreel with Charlie Chaplin, his first trip back to Europe after relocating to the from the United States to England in 1914. There's a silent short starring Chaplin and, and Coogan that was uh, uh, filmed at the home of Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford that was... I, I'm not even sure. What, I think this was like a... a, a, a 
a present to someone actually that they made. Oh, that's doors. What I, yeah. And there's an audio commentary from a chaplain scholar and a leaflet. Ultimately, they put together a great package for one of the essential chaplain films. I mm-hmm. uh, definitely, 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 definitely recommend the hell out of that film. Uh, next up is Bridge of Spies. Hey, let's take that bridge. No, there's spies on it. What? Where does it say there's spies on it's it? It's made of spies. I don't see any sign. Well, exactly. Uh, well, that's... How do you know it's full of spies? Did you just read the Wikipedia entry? No, I, I intercepted a communique. Oh, wait. Are you a spy? I can't confirm or deny that. Am I in trouble? I can't confirm or deny that. Okay. But, I'm just going to get out here. But if you here. just get into this car with me, um, we're going to an undisclosed location. Is Tom Hanks here somewhere? Can I talk uh, to him? You know, in your special safe place, maybe. <laughs> this is the uh, latest Spielberg film with a script that at least had the final pass by the Coen brothers uh, that's getting nominated for all kinds of stuff this year, <coughs> despite, I think, ultimately being, you know, I mean, this is a decent little Spielberg film but not one of the ones he's going to be remembered for. Oh, man. Okay, thank you. Because I was just watching it going, this is well made. This is not very intriguing. <laughs> I mean, I think I was so much more interested in, you know, just the going, oh, wow, so that stuff really happened yeah. than what the movie was creating around that mm. stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm interested in this guy's story, but I feel like I would have been more interested to see a documentary about him. Yeah. I do applaud Tom Hanks. He's jumped forward from World War Two, at least. You know, yeah, yeah. He's coming closer to modern times in his movies. <laughs> he's a time traveler. Yep, he's yep. Count St. Germain. <laughs> yeah, Tom Hanks is actually a title. <laughs> yeah, right? It's just inherited by various people. Uh, no, does that mean Colin Hanks is going to become Tom Hanks someday? Oh, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not either. Anyway, uh, so it takes place in 1957, starting in Brooklyn, where uh, a Russian spy gets busted by the FBI. Uh, and he's the, basically the FBI comes to this lawyer who especially played by Tom X specializes in insurance type stuff called J, named James Donovan. Uh, he's asked to take on the defense for this spy, which is like a, the most thankless job ever. Yeah, in, literally. This is the mid fifties. America was an anti-commie mania. Yeah. We don't want no pinkos, <laughs> uh, but they, they know he's a spy, but they want him to have a fair trial. Uh, so that the Soviet Union can't use it for propaganda, basically, against right. the U.S. And the guy won't to give them anything. And they know he's not going to give them anything at this point. And they're done trying. Uh, yeah, they're just done trying. Uh, he meets with them uh, and uh, basically he tells the government, I'm not going to help you get intelligence from this guy. I'm just going to do my job and do, even though I don't feel good about it, I feel good about doing my job and being an American. So I'm going to do the best job I can defending this guy. Unfortunately, uh, even though, of course, the guy is, of course, found guilty in all charges, uh, the government thinks he did such a good job. <laughs> when time comes that they're like, hey, we're going to do a spy trade for the guys who went down in the U-2 uh, spy plane over Russia. Uh, they're like, hey, uh, your guy, yeah. we're going to get you to go over there and negotiate this. Like, why the fuck would you get me to do it? I'm an insurance lawyer. Because you're a spy lawyer you now. not listening. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he ends up getting sent over to uh, East Germany, and there's problems with, like, the East Germany wants to be have more of a prominent role in this thing because they want their own stuff out of this. Yeah. And they're not even supposed to be involved, really, outside of hosting the meeting. Right. And, you know, things get a little chaotic. And, the, I, you know, if there's a pleasure to be had in this film, it's a very traditionally Tom Hanksian pleasure of seeing him <laughs> stand up to people's bullshit. That's and, right. And his sort of stoic... 
but with kind of that that pleasant little Tom little Hanks smirk on his face, <laughs> knowing that no matter what, Tom Hanks is going to make sure the right thing gets done. That's right, and and you know he might do a head shake. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, like like I said, this is it's a lesser Spielberg film, but it's a pleasant enough one. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing about this that like make, that would make you think for a second <laughs> this was made by some hack filmmaker. It's it's just that as we I guess we expect even more from Spielberg. Than well, this. yeah, it had some sharp suits. It did. Well, it's, well, it's you know it's Mad Men times. So, yeah, you know of course the clothing looks great. Uh, Mark Rylance, who plays the KGB spy, actually is really funny in this. Although I'm still not sure why it, it's gotten to the level of him getting best supporting actor nods. He's not in it that much. He's not, but uh, he. I mean, I, I definitely was drawn to his performance. Yeah. So maybe maybe that was it. They were like, "Well, Joe is okay with it." Well, he's yeah. They were asked, "Joe, so what do you think?" I was like, "It's okay, yeah." Put him up there. Wait a minute, are you a spy? I can't confirm or deny that. I think he's gonna kill us if we don't give him a best supporting actor nod. There. Best supporting actor for Mark Rylance. Uh, he can't confirm or deny whether he's happy about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do, you know, I'd go so far as to say, yeah, I recommend it. I don't think you should rush to go out and see it, but it's <laughs> it's one of those ones you're like, hey, you're going to watch it, you're going to enjoy it, you'll probably forget about it a year later. But if nothing else, you'll have learned the true story of this guy that Tom Hanks plays, who was actually a fucking fascinating dude. He's basically Atticus Finch. <laughs> yeah, he basically is, except <laughs> in real life, you know. I was, I was looking up all the stuff on here that feels so Hollywood and Spielbergian embellishments, and no, he really did all that shit. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay. Well, I see why Spielberg wanted to make the film because <laughs> it's like this writes itself, literally. A uh, lot of extra features on here, I suppose. Seventeen, uh, oh, I'm sorry, eighteen minutes on a uh, look at Spielberg's family history. For some reason, uh, the, with the with the real life events, how those things tie in together. Uh, Berlin, 1961, recreating the divide as cast and crew share the history of the wall, the you know the Berlin Wall, and explore how it's shown in the film. Man, that had to freak out old people. Like, what? wait, what? We're putting it back up? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> what are you watching? Oh, oh. no! Uh, there's a nine-minute piece on the U-2 spy plane crash, uh, and then about five and a half minutes on uh, looking at the historical detail of basically the titular Bridge of Spies meeting yes. that happens at the end of the third act. Yeah, it's okay. I, I like it a lot better than Richard did. <laughs> <coughs> That's not surprising. Uh, anyway, moving on, doing a little bit of television here. Talk about From Dust Till Dawn Season 2. Look, I'll be honest with you. I watched all of Season 1, uh-huh. and I didn't think I was going to get that far. I think it was just coming on when there wasn't a lot else on. Nice. I, that, I, says, that says volumes. Yeah. And I was like, I was never even that big a fan of the movie, mm-hmm. but I kind of like this a little bit better than the movie. Like, I, I, I kind of like the guys who are playing... Uh, the the two Gecko brothers here, DJ Catrona uh, and Zane Holtz. They're not neither one of them is particularly great actors, but they have good chemistry together. Uh, and I like that it's expanding this their story, which I always thought in From Dust Till Dawn, the two mobster guys or the two like criminal guys were much more interesting than any of the vampires. Yeah. Well, does does Cheech Marin say apple pie pussy? No, he's well, not. Well, then this. why do I want to watch? Presumably, this? he'll show up at some point. He better. Yeah, but um. You know, I mean, the first series, season of this is basically just an expanded version of the movie. Okay. You know, with different guys playing some of the roles. Like, you uh, uh, have Jake Busey play Sex Machine, which has a considerably expanded role from the movie. Mm-hmm. He's more of in this, like, uh, like 
a crazy researcher guy who collects rare artifacts. Right, right. Which okay. is nothing like his role in the film. Uh, how, how are his teeth? Uh, what? What? His teeth. His big old Busey chompers. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's okay. fucking Busey's. They're Jake Busey's teeth are huge. Uh, and then Robert Patrick was in the first season as the dad of the nice Christian family that go on. And he doesn't make it out of the first season. I'll just no, say that. Oh, boy. Which you don't really care. Uh, <laughs> the second season is interesting in the sense that, okay, so where do we go from here? Which is not the same place that the, the sequel movies that no one I've ever heard of has ever watched. Oh, I, I watched them. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. I can't remember a single thing about him. Well, I only got like six episodes into the second season before I was like, there's just, n- it's not that this is terrible. It's just nowhere near good enough to make the cut with television today. Yeah. With all the stuff that's coming on that is so much better. I'm like, why would I watch this? Okay. Judgment call. So new episode of this or rerun of burn notice. Oh, I would watch this before Burn Notice. Okay. I, I never was a Burn Notice fan. Oh, you're one of those. I couldn't get into it's it. It's because you hate Bruce Campbell. I watched the whole no, I get it. I watched, no, I decidedly don't hate Bruce Campbell. But uh, I, I, I thought that the main guy in, in there just had no charisma. I, I couldn't. Well, it is true. He, <laughs> yeah. he was a vehicle for wearing clothes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was like, I don't give a shit what happens to this guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, we're not talking about Burn Notice, though. Yeah, I like... At this point, half the cast has turned into vampires, snake snake pyres. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, true. and And they have them considerably less on the side of, like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just a monster. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the idea is that eh, some of them can kind of control their, and keep somewhat human, and some of them aren't so great at that. Oh, so it's, uh, it's just... And it's they're just all looking discipline. for stuff to, like, I don't know, some ritual, some book, something like that. Uh, uh, and... The two brothers have split up because one's become a vampire now, and he's oh. hooked up with the the Selma uh, uh, Hayek Hayek character from the first movie, basically, who's played by a different actress in this one, Eliza Gonzalez, who's beautiful and quite good in it. Okay, um, and there they've kind of become this team that are going to like she. He wants to take over the whole organization that okay. the snake vampires ran, and mm-hmm. she wants it to burn it to the fucking ground. Um. You got to work that out yeah. before you move in together. And it's, well, that's the whole thing. It's like I know you've already had this conversation, so why are you all even hanging <laughs> out? Uh, I see Fez is in it. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, Fez from that '70s show. What is it? What is his name? Wilmer Valderrama. Yeah, Wilmer Valderrama. <laughs> he's like he's kind of was the big bad of the first season, mm-hmm. and now they've kind of turned him into like a. Well, you don't know what he's going to be because there's a new big bad guy who's much worse than he is. Well, and that's the way it he's goes. He's kind of like, well, I, he's probably going to team up with one of these other protagonists at one point to take down the big bad. Well, a good and, GM is going to is going to slowly get you to the biggest bad. Indeed. Surprisingly, that dude, he's not bad in this. He's also cut as shit. He's oh, yeah, like he is. ripped. You're like, I forgot inside of two episodes of watching this show that he was Fez from that 70s <laughs> show. You know, which is like, okay, fair enough. Well, I, I, I really like him as an actor because he's willing to just do all sorts of wacky stuff. Yeah. He's not afraid to look stupid. That's true. He's not. He looks pretty stupid with the snake bags here. <laughs> oh, there's a cool bit where, like, for some reason, towards the beginning, he's, like, lost in the labyrinth underneath the 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 titty twister, presumably never mm-hmm. to survive, but he gets out, but it kind of drives him a bit crazy and he rips his own snake fangs out. Ouchies. And then he fashes himself a pair of like metal snake fangs. And you're like, classy. What was, how did, th- there's a lot it's of a confusion grill. of how yeah. anything works here. <laughs> uh, there's a lot, just throughout this, I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck is happening here at some, to some degree. 
And there's a lot of mediocre acting, and Danny Trejo's in the second season for no good reason. Yeah, no, there's a good reason right. for Danny Trejo. Because Robert Rodriguez puts him in everything. Well, that too. I mean, the guy <laughs> isn't going to be with us for that much longer. No, he doesn't he's, have much. we got to get Machete in space. He's, what, he's like 69 <laughs> or something? No, he's 71, and still playing always the role of the ultimate badass in mm-hmm. movies. The guy's looked like he's been 70 for like 30 years. Hey, prison man. <laughs> um, I don't know. This. Uh, Maybe you guys like it more than I do. I don't think it's terrible. I just think it's just not good enough. Oh, wait. Is it airing on El Rey? Yeah. Okay, that says everything. That's why no one has seen it. Yeah. Because <laughs> nobody carries El Rey, sadly. <laughs> like, I, you know, you guys, are, I would say you're trying so hard to make a network, but you're not really. You're doing shows like a, like like Lucha Underground about wrestling, <laughs> which is about as niche as you get. You're doing reruns of other people's shows. Mm-hmm. You're like, you have one original show, as near as I can tell, a narrative show, and that's this. Mm-hmm. And you don't even spend that money. Oh, by the way, they can show, like, nudity. And this show's all about sex. I mean, there's so much sex on it. Right. And yet you see a flash of boobs, like, w- once every, like, six episodes. Oh, like, lame. Like, I'm not saying Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones it or anything. I'm just saying if you're selling this thing on how hot and sexy it is, Shows maybe sexy. a little more sexy would help. <laughs> uh, next up is a show that went from just okay to actually pretty fucking good in its second season. Yeah, that it did. Is, did you watch this? No. Oh, okay. The Leftovers. Uh, this is HBO show run by Damon Lindelof. I know, I know. But what I'm saying is maybe Lindelof is a lot better at TV than he is at movies. Oh, no, wait. I'm not. Maybe saying that. I am saying that. Oh, definitive statement. I think when Lindelof works at TV, he's actually not too shabby at it. When he works on movies, he's terrible at it. (laughs) He he fucks up almost everything he touches when film. But with TV, not so bad. Uh, And the second season of the show starring Justin Theroux in a world where not to people say the rapture. But it's not. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows. God didn't come down. There's no angels. Oh, that movie millions or that show. Of, millions of people disappeared. Just they were gone, yeah. and no one has any idea why. And it seems kind of random. It wasn't just like the hardcore Christians went. It was like completely like, what? Why did this guy go and not that girl? You know. Um, and it's the world well like a good year or so after that, and people are just kind of like still fucked up. And there's a group, this weird religious cult that's walking around dressed all in white and smoking cigarettes constantly that uh, won't speak and and basically go and like they're like the God hates fags group of this particular world, except mm-hmm. they go there with God hates everyone. <laughs> and Not no particular there. group they hate. They just hate people <laughs> and want to fuck up their events and their happiness. Okay, I've known these people. They're, they're, they believe that the world already ended and they want everyone to just, like, w- this is not real. None of this is real. Mm-hmm. And you guys just need to, to, to face up to the fact that, like, this is all bullshit and you're caring about nothing. Well, then what's it matter either way? Guys, come on. The first season is, like, slow moving and vague to the point that it gets kind of dull. Uh-huh. You're like, guys, move this story along. <laughs> you know, you're all these suggestions of more and supernatural things going on, but you're not going anywhere. Well, the second season accelerates things considerably, moving the characters out of the small town there that they were in in the first one to uh, a town... Well, pretty much Austin, Texas. Okay. Like, a lot of it was filmed in Austin, and there's places I'm like, hey, that's Campbell's Hole. You know, it's like, uh, it's like supposed to be, even in the show, it's like not that far, like maybe an hour or so from Austin. Okay. Uh, this small town. Is it New Braunfels? No, it's called Miracle. And the idea uh. is because this town 
is the only town in the whole world where no one disappeared on that day. Well, maybe they're all shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, they have walled it off and turned it into a tourist attraction. That oh. People have to pay to get in and they have to <laughs> apply and you can only be there from sunrise to sunset and you got to leave after that and there's like... Like thousands of people outside camped out looking like a Burning Man festival waiting to try and see if they can sneak in <laughs> or find a way in. Uh, but the family in question gets in because they actually buy a house there, which will let you get in. Um, well, with these real estate prices, do it if you can. And it actually – this season, it moves so much faster. There's so many more like – I'll just say it. It's more like Lost this season, and I like it better than that. <laughs> you oh, know? cool. So I don't have to watch this. <laughs> if you did, I don't know. If you didn't like Lost, I still loved Lost. I still think that was a great TV show. Uh, yeah, it only answered half the questions, but it answered those questions pretty damn well that it did answer. I'm glad you like things. <laughs> uh, it's just, it has a lot more of that sort of sense of, like, fast-paced mystery going on. The drama is more effective. There's crazier shit going on by far. There's a whole sequence where Justin Thoreau basically dies and goes to the other side, which is a hotel where, uh, like a high-end hotel, where he's got to figure out what he's got to do to get out. Okay. Because, uh, like he has an antagonist in there somewhere, and he doesn't know who she is or where she is. Uh, and it just gets super weird. It gets into the kind of weird that I like, this is what I tuned into the show for, not to watch a bunch of people just like crying on tables, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what Jim's is for. <laughs> I don't know. Season two, season one bored you, but not so much that you didn't finish it. And you were like, man, this should have been better. Season two is the better show that you would hoped you were going to get. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and it's going to end with season three, which I think is good because this sort of thing feels like you don't want to drag it on too long. Mm-hmm. This season two is already, a, a, you know, really accelerating towards answers of what happened. So, yeah, I think maybe it is worth your time at this point to get on board and see what happens. Now, I'm not promising Darren uh, is not going to fuck it up, <coughs> or Damon is not going to fuck it up in the end. But hey, <laughs> Jesus, man, you're suffering over here. I, wow, that was that was a, a blast. Have some tissues. Oh, I will. <laughs> I told you the trees are just coming everywhere. Literally. Uh, oh. And yeah, and then you're, that was the money shot. It was. <laughs> uh, next up is back, back to movies. Is truth. Truth. What's the truth, Ruth? Uh, this is a movie. <laughs> yeah, and this was not your type of thing, was it? It really wasn't. No, um, it should have been because it, it, it dealt with uh, a, a fairly important part of uh, recent news history and Dan Rather stepping down in, in kind of disgrace and looking into just how the political machine can still influence the media or, or it can influence it a lot more now than it could in the past. Yeah. And I could not be pissed to watch this movie. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I certainly don't think that as a journal, you know, a, a procedural journalistic film, this is anywhere near as good as Spotlight was, which was pretty much dead on perfect, mm-hmm. I thought. But I still personally really enjoyed this. But I will admit that I have kind of a fetish for this type of film. Mm-hmm. I like these type of films when no one else does, too. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love watching journalists try and figure stuff out and get mad at the powers that be. Well, I mean, when I was a journalist, there were oftentimes I would just run into the newsroom saying, I got a hot scoop here, see? <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. We should just 
film you set up at the Austin Chronicle and just film you coming in doing that and watch everyone. We'll give you a hat with like the the press like little yep, things exactly. out of the fedora and watch what happens. Uh, this focuses not so much on Dan Rather, who is played here by Robert Redford. The main character is actually Kate Blanchett as Mary Mapes, who is the producer of 60 Minutes Wednesday and basically just best friends with Dan Rather. Yeah. Uh, who's like, who trusts her absolutely mm-hmm. to be, to get the good stories, to know what she's doing. And uh, a few months before the uh, re-election of President George W. Bush, she started getting information that he had received preferential treatment from the Texas Air National Guard, including, like, not meeting even the minimal level of training and performance requirements. Showing up. That he was going AWOL constantly. I mean, there's a whole slew of stuff that was damning. Yes. And basically... This controversy, which has still never been resolved, mm-hmm. uh, came to a head when after doing a story about it, which seemed like they had more than enough solid information, suddenly all the pieces started falling and people started recanting. And yep. like a, the one character in, in question played by Stacey Keach is like, well, yeah, they came in and, and gave me this stuff and told me to tell you about this. And you're like, uh, this is a, this whole thing was a Karl Rove move, mm-hmm. which they barely talk about in the movie but doing research i was like there's a whole books about how this whole thing was orchestrated by carl rove to make it so that any actual investigation into that which is probably all true yeah will be it's just totally damned before it can even get serious yeah it's misinformation through information yeah which is a fascinating strategy which is like give them bits of the truth but lace it with like really huge falsehoods that when they get busted on it it'll make it where and no one will have the balls to look any further right. uh, and maybe that's what really happened maybe it's not but regardless of a decent enough cast here even though Redford is making no attempt to be anybody but Robert Redford oh here, no not at in all in terms of performance he's not he doesn't he's not a thing like Dan Rather who's got such a distinctive vocal mannerism style mm-hmm. and everything you know, he didn't even attempt Wharton Texas's his own Dan Rather uh, I thought Topher Grace was pretty good in here as the youngin yeah yeah he wasn't annoying in this uh dennis quaid a sort of older military type who's who's uh you know uh, kind of the one who's the most insistent on true on everybody making sure they get their shit straight but he's a very likable character in here um i don't know i i enjoyed it for what it's worth it's probably a little bit over long and ultimately at the end you're like mad but you're not even sure who you're mad at yeah (laughs) you're yelling at clouds yeah you're like okay (laughs) Like, should I, in the, from the film's perspective, it feels like it just didn't go far enough. Like, if you're going to have an opinion, have an opinion. Right. And, and what's stopping you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was the- <laughs> Why are you, you're, you're trying to present this thing as if you have an opinion and then you come down on the, so who knows what happened? So. Anyway, let's go have a sandwich. Yeah. Like, you know what? I would have preferred if you had just gone ahead and said, this is our opinion on what happened and, and gone full force with it. And, and George W. Bush totally ate that baby. <laughs> <laughs> wow, was that part of it? Well, that's what they were hinting at. Wait a minute, how do you know that? Uh, well, this is because of my journalistic skills. It's not because of spy craft. The the thing I can't confirm or deny? Nope, not because of that. Well, actually, I can't you confirm just or deny that. You denied either. that. I can't confirm that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, you got to smell this chloroform. It's uh-huh. really great. You're not a spy. Wait a minute. <laughs> or I'm not, not, a, not a spy. I'm really confused. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like... 
you didn't like it. I I did. I did actually really enjoy it. But yeah, I, if I'm going to say, if you have this and Spotlight sitting in front of you, by all means, go and watch Spotlight instead. <laughs> it's a lot better. I thought Kate Blanchett has that perfect level of righteous indignation here for this. Well, yeah, that, that, you know, I, I don't mean to. I thought uh, Kate Blanchett did fantastically in it. I just didn't care about all the surroundings of it. Fair enough. Uh, a good amount of extras here. A audio commentary from the director, James Vanderbilt, and the producers. Some deleted scenes. Uh, Eleven and a half minute look at the real Dan Rather and Mary Mapes, along with the cast discussing the real history behind the movie. Uh, a look at the ma- uh, thing called the team. A look at the whole yeah, cast. Q and A with Kate Blanchett, Elizabeth Moss, who I forgot was in this mm-hmm. as well, uh, and the director, uh, and you know the usual stuff. Trailers, previews, what have you. Oh, I got a good thing to say about it. Yeah, didn't have Kate Mara in it. Was that something you don't like in a film, generally speaking? Yeah, yeah I would say so. Are you just not a Kate Mara person? Nope. Really? Mm-hmm. Her parents own football teams. I don't need to like her. Oh, uh, okay. So it's that, <laughs> that whole, like, I think you have enough good stuff in your life already. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up is Disney's... Actually, as far as I know, this is the first Disney second Blu-ray release of the same movie. Okay. And I think it's the first time since Blu-ray they've re-released something, and that's no big surprise, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the signature edition. Dub edition. Of the first Disney animated. <laughs> it, it, it's often looked at as the first animated feature film, although I believe that technically that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly the best, the first one in America. Uh, and it was the first one ever to have a female protagonist. Whoa. You know, as it were. But, uh, and it still is a classic. I mean, you watch it and you're like, okay, this is adorable. It has such a distinctive look to it. You know, it's inspired a lot of Rule 37 porn. It certainly has. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, like, so much of it is so iconic, it's ridiculous. I mm-hmm. mean, it is, it's, every frame of this has seeped into our culture into a way that's inextricable at this point. Uh, and this new edition, I mean, it's exactly the same, like, Blu-ray fix-up and audio fix-up from the last one, which is to say spectacular. Mm-hmm. It looks gorgeous. It has that option where if you want to get rid of the bars on either side, because things didn't used to have the, you know, the full yeah, the, frame, mm-hmm. like, the widescreen format, you, there's instead, like, a curtain look to them, which is kind of cool. You know, they do that with all the older Disney animated films. Oh, now. do they now? Uh, and basically what all you're getting here is a series of new special features. Uh, you have, like, a four-and-a-half-minute piece with uh, archival audio footage of Walt Disney uh, talking about like how this even happened and what was going on, how it got started. It's actually pretty interesting. You wish it was a lot longer. Uh, like, oh, there's some cool stuff in there. There's a, 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 a puff piece that talks about the iconography of elements of Snow White with a bunch of you know, new people who work for Disney going, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I work here. Uh, there's a five-minute look uh, at... at Designing Disney's first princess. Once again, pretty much the same thing as iconography. <laughs> There's a, a piece of Sophia Carson from Disney's show Descendants, who is really irritating, uh, at least here, gives a, a thing of seven things you did not know about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And admittedly, clickbait. There were some things I did not know about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves here. Uh, There's a really, this thing you skip absolutely called Snow White in 70 Seconds, which is a preteen hip hop girl telling the story oh, in hip hop oh, in boy. 70 seconds, yes, with some animation behind her. Uh, there is a very interesting alternate sequence where the prince met Snow White before you know, the apple and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's actually pretty interesting with Walt Disney narrating it. And it's basically they recorded the meeting of him describing the sequence to his animators with the drawings he had uh-huh. made of it. And it's like, wow, that's pretty fucking cool. Huh. Uh, actually, you know, reading out the dialogue and everything. Um, and Does he do the girl voices? 
Like, yeah. hey, Prince Charming. No, I, mean, I mean, he does do the girls, but he doesn't do it. Oh, yeah, character like that. Uh, and then there's a sort of a, a longer version of a supplement called the one that started it all with the Diamond Edition release called uh, The Making of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It's now 33 minutes. I believe the original one was like 28 or something like that. It's just The Making of Snow White more that. Other than that, it's all the other stuff that was on the previous edition. And fuck it, it's Snow White. If you don't own the ultimate edition of Snow White and you have kids or you're a Disney file on any level, you, you might as well go ahead and pick it up. Hey, pick it's, it up through Amazon. They're not really going to make a better version than this. They'll just be more irritating add-ons with new people going, isn't Snow White great in later <laughs> editions? You don't need more of that. This is as good as it's going to get. Well, until 16K. 16K, yeah. Mm, uh, yeah, until they have the Oculus Rift version. <laughs> you can even taste the apple. You can be a dwarf. <laughs> All right, next up is another uh, a new animated film, which is called Batman Bad Blood. I don't need bad blood. I, I just I just hate Damien. Are you not a Damien Wayne fan? Well, his voice, it just really annoys me. Uh, but, but so does this Batman's voice. Well, honestly, I am not the hugest fan of Jason Omar as this Batman, uh-uh. but I have enjoyed the films that they've done with him. Yes, that's that's <laughs> the big difference. Like, yeah. like this one, for example. Yeah, is is a pretty decent. I think, it, for me, I'd say it's the weakest of the kind of trilogy they've done of Damien and Batman, uh-huh. but it's still a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, for one thing. Any film that's like, well, now Nightwing is pretty much your main character. I'm like, oh, I'm in. Well, especially because <laughs> it leads to all those scenes where he's dressed like a Goomba with his yeah, chain. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is like the latest in that that the basically the new 52 Batman story mm-hmm. that DC has been putting out that have been on the whole pretty damn good. Where Batman is, uh, you know, battling a bad guy and. Uh, Bat, it was, it's Batwoman, I believe. Yes. Who shows Batman. up, and she, in this new version, she's kind of like a, she's a little loose cannon-ish. A little, That's right. A little like, I don't need anybody, I can do it. And then she, Batman basically dies, as near as we can tell, saving her. Mm. And he's disappeared, and everyone's like, well, what happened? And it's basically the team up, the setup to team up the, the Batman, the Bat new fam. Bat family, you know, oh. which is, of course, much darker than the old 60s version, <laughs> uh, where you've got, you know, Robin... Uh, the former Robin, now Nightwing, Dick Grayson, takes on the mantle being Batman so the city doesn't start going, ha-ha, no Batman. <laughs> That's right. No, uh, I'm still here. Damian Wayne is the current Robin, is really being an irritating little shit like he always is. But <laughs> yeah. this is actually the one where the most of him sort of gaining some level of like, okay, it's time to start acting like a grown-up. And yeah, realizing yeah, that's true. what you're supposed to be doing in this role. Uh, and then you have the new people. You have the the new uh, Batwoman uh, character played by Yvonne Stravosky from Chuck Chuck, uh, it, who is, you know, also a little bit like, whatever, I don't need any of you people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, her her uh, comic that was uh, written by J or drawn by J.H. Williams III, that's a good <laughs> fucking comic book, dude. The artwork was like jaw-droppingly beautiful. Nice. Yeah, really good. And then, of course, you have the brand new new one, uh, Batwing. <laughs> Ugh, which, did not care for that. Which jokes are made at his expense because, like, you know, we call we already it got one the of airplane <laughs> Batwing, right? We, we fly it. Kind of weird. Uh, voiced by Gaius Charles. Um, ultimately, the whole fight here, of course, is against Talia al Ghul, voiced here by Marina Baccarin. Uh I don't know. I mean, like... It's more of the type of stuff you want to see with these the the Batman DC animated universe Just films. Just real quick, is, is Gaius Charles the, the the guy from Friday Night Lights? I don't know. I never watched Friday Night Lights, but the answer is yes. Yeah, I used to I used to make him uh, lattes. 
Oh, did you really? Yeah. You know they're all going to be in town here shortly for a reunion, apparently. Well, me and Kyle Chandler are uh, range buddies. Oh, okay. We go shooting together. They're all tight. Yeah. Well, we, like, we don't plan it, but it's happened like five <laughs> times. <laughs> so you've never actually talked to him, but you end up shooting him. No, the I've time. talked to him because oh, okay. he was all like, hey, man, that's a nice gun. I was like, hey. yeah, it is. He's like, why don't you go on out there, hold this target over your head? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't like you like that, bro. Yeah, I mean, like, I like these things. I just, like I said, I, I felt a little disappointed with this one. I was just, it, it just was, I don't know. The story felt a little, like, not terribly worked through. It felt more like it was about just getting the Bat family together. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was a setup. A it was putting level. it on the on the T-ball tee. Yeah, there's no real plot going on here. What, what I did really like about this mm-hmm. was the extras. Yeah. Uh, well, always the extras are pretty good on these things where you get little features that are like the history of the DC animated universe. And a lot of the times with these, I th- like those better than the actual. Well, uh, the, the Jay Oliva uh, piece on uh, choreographing the fights uh, yeah. was, was easily my favorite thing of this. Was indeed super interesting called uh, Putting the Fight in Gotham. Uh, there's also an, another one here called Expanding the Batman Family that takes a look at sort of like how these, these characters we're seeing here, how they were represented in their history in the comic books. The only downside, really, of the, these is they're getting shorter. They used to be like a half hour, 40 minutes long, mm-hmm. and now they tend to be 10 or 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. it's like, guys, I'm kind of buying these on some to some level for those. Right. And they're, they're not free. <laughs> no. Uh, you can't get them anywhere else. I mean, I think it'd be cool if at some point they gathered them all together as a one big documentary series. Oh, that'd be neat. History of DC <laughs> Comics or whatever. Uh, of course, you've also got... Two episodes of The Bat and the Bold. They always put on a few episodes that have related storylines to whatever the movie <laughs> is. Uh, and then a sneak peek at their next one, Justice League versus Teen Titans, which I'm actually really looking forward to. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, once again, more Nightwing. Hey, more, more cyborg. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, of course, is also an evolution of this story because it's Batman going, okay, Damian Wayne needs to, or, uh, yeah, Damian Wayne needs to do some kids his own age. So, <laughs> so in the responsible adult thing, I'm putting you on a super team of teenagers that are unsupervised to go fight crime. <laughs> <laughs> And try not to stare at Starfire's chest. Yeah. Well, there is a bit of that clearly going on. A bit of like, wait, how old is Starfire? Because like right off the bat, like Nightwing's like, hubba, hubba. And you're like, (laughs) dude, she's 13. Uh, You know, in Gotham, it's legal. Yeah, I know traditionally in the Titans comics, those two got together. But with this new storyline range, I mean, Nightwing is way too old. Hey, but you know what? If we can accept Anakin and Padme. (laughs) I didn't accept it. I don't accept it, Joe. Okay, fine. Stand in the way of love, Aaliyah Hater. Uh, speaking of standing in the way of love, <laughs> talking about Excellent segue. The Keeping Room, the latest Western uh, by Daniel Barber, uh, who made, if you ever got a chance to see uh, the Harry Brown remake with Michael Caine, mm-hmm. really solid, bloody oh, yeah. little film. So good. Uh, and so I was super looking forward to The Keeping Room, and I did not feel like it disappointed at all. Albeit a pretty different type of film than mm-hmm. Harry Brown, it's still pl- pretty bloody and brutal. Yeah, uh, uh, well, <coughs> I liked the kind of slower pace to it. And, and man, the, the ability to convey the environment was just fantastic in this. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you feel so isolated along with these three women. And you feel hot and sticky and gross. Yeah, and... It's, it's the South. <laughs> no air conditioning in the middle right. of the summer. No juleps here. Uh, Britt Marling plays sort of the, the the only surviving, like <laughs> oldest woman of a family after the you know all the menfolk went off to die in the the Civil War, basically. Like you did in the day. Yeah, 
Yeah, as you did. Haley Seinfeld plays her uh, her younger sister, and Muna Otaru plays their their former slave, who clearly at this point has <coughs> and, and, done with it. Yeah, well, there's a nice subtext of the film where it's like, like Haley Steinfeld doesn't get that, you know. You don't. Nobody is going to come. Over. <laughs> you're not going to have a coming out party where a bunch of rich suitors are going to show up. There's not going to be mint juleps anymore. Mm-mm. You're a worker in the fields, just like she is. And any of that levels of class differential, that shit is gone. We have to count on each other to survive. So don't you be calling the. Uh, don't you be calling uh, Mad the end <laughs> word anymore. Right. We're, we're all shitting in the same bucket. Yeah, there's an amazing sequence where she just smacks the shit out of her. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, damn. Go on, do it. Uh, but it's them sort of dealing with their situation, realizing they may not be alive much longer if yeah. they don't figure out something. And to make things worse, uh, when she goes out to try and find some medicine... She's followed more or less back to the house by two like runaway soldiers, one who's a Confederate, one a Union soldier, who just want to rape and steal and mm-hmm. be douchebags. Uh, Sam Worthington playing the the more recognizable. The Avatar two. guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who's actually, for the first time in his career, delivers a really convincing, solid performance. Yeah, no CG. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying, though. It's like generally, yeah, no, he's a mean. little wooden. Yes. And here, I was like, wow, I'm... He really did a good job with this character. Doesn't hurt he has such a good director. And the script is got presents these characters that have all these different levels to them, even him. Yeah. He's not they don't make it just like, okay, this guy is just flat. Oh, there you go, there's your villain. (laughs) (laughs) He's actually they make him a lot more interesting than that. And I what you end up with is a really fascinating pot boiler of a of a Western. Yeah, I, I liked it. I got nothing bad to say about it. And I believe, I want to say Cinedime is, is uh, Cinedime's putting this out, but I believe it's through the arm of Draft House Films. Yes, yes it is. Uh, and, and I'm not surprised that they loved this. This was a big hit. Well, I believe I saw it at Fantastic Fest originally. But there's a commentary with Britt Marling, the very talented Britt Marling, and the writer, Julia Hart. Uh, there's a 11-minute, uh, 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 excuse me. Hey, uh, you catching what I got? Yeah, right. The making of the uh, keeping room. So, and a booklet uh, with lengthy pro- uh, production notes. Not a lot, but ultimately, this is the movie you're gonna come back to and want to mm-hmm. see. Oh yeah, and, and to show to other people, it's westerns are definitely making a comeback, but they're doing it in a very untraditional way. And this is one of the better ones we've gotten. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. All right, next up is a very different type of film that I don't believe you could call Western on any level. Screw you, Grandma. <laughs> called Grandma. Now, as much as a film called Grandma is something that sounds like I probably won't watch because that sounds, nothing about that title makes me go, yeah, <laughs> can't wait to see Grandma. Oh, yeah, Silver Foxes. When they're like, oh, okay, well, this is uh, Lily Tomlin's first leading role in 27 years, and uh, she plays a take-no-shit, like, ex-hippie grandma who's helping her young like sassy but needs a good smack in the mouth granddaughter go get an abortion mm-hmm. i was like okay hold on that actually does sound kind yeah of it's got things i love it's, it's, it's got lily tomlin it's got abortions <laughs> and judy greer <laughs> and judy greer and i actually loved the shit out of this thing yeah no it was it was it was really delightful yeah uh, like uh, uh lily tomlin plays l who is a you know well-known counterculture lesbian poet uh, who is dealing with the fact that her long-term partner died. She was in a four-month relationship with a young, like, fangirl, Olivia, played by Judy Greer, who she is, at the beginning of this film, has just said, you know, basically, like, get the fuck out, get the fuck out. And it's clear from the beginning, she's like, 
All right, something else is going on because she obviously didn't really want her to get out, but yeah. this whole scenario is just freaking her out. But then her 18-year-old daughter shows up, Sage, uh, played here by Julia Garner, who says, I'm pregnant. I need $600 for an abortion. I don't know where I'm going to get it. Uh, and you realize this movie is going to be up your alley when they go to the house of the guy who impregnated her, mm-hmm. who's just a little fucking shit-talking wannabe gangster and, douchebag. And Lily Tomlin serves up the hat trick. Beats Bam. the shit out of this kid. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Lily Tomlin, get some. I was like, I like this movie. Now, there were there were a few logical flaws. Like, they needed the, the, the 500 and whatever dollars, but stairs are free. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't even detect that. But, uh, you know, it's a fun little, like, heartwarming but in a not triacly fashion road trip bonding film between, like, two women. Uh, and, like, her's just sort of like, you know, you've got to stop taking so much shit from people. And you don't think you take shit because you got a smart mouth. But the truth is, you anybody you, the only people you have to worry about taking shit from that you are is people that you feel like you have some emotional connection mm-hmm. to and you need to fucking stop that shit <laughs> yeah uh at some point she uh she tried to hit up sam elliott's character for money always good to see sam elliott uh, well of course it is but um what what i really liked about this movie was that it it kind of it treated everything so fairly Mm-hmm. Like, uh, his character was super pissed because at one point those two were married. And obviously that wasn't going to work out with somebody who realized they're a lesbian. Yeah. And and then he's also like, wait, you left me and then almost immediately had a kid from just some random guy? Right. But it, it explains everything in a way that's not insulting uh, to either character. Yeah. Agreed. It's got such a strong performance from Lily Tomlin. Oh, well, I, I love her. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to see her be utilized properly, which is whichever fucking way she wants. Yeah. And it's genuinely laugh out loud funny at points, but in a very sort of not we wrote a gag way, but exactly. sort of in the context of what's happening. Yeah, there's no way. spinning bow tie. No, there's no spinning bow tie. <laughs> there is a kick in the nuts. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I believe it was a hockey stick. Yeah, a hockey nuts. stick to the nuts. Uh, this comes with audio commentary with Lily Tomlin, Sam Elliott, Julia Garner, and the director. Uh, there is a making of, about 25 minute making of, a Q&A with Lily Tomlin, Sam Elliott, and the director, and then your other previews trailer, what have you. Honestly, this this is one of those little. This is one of the better indie films that came out in 2015. Oh, yeah. That if you didn't get to catch, now's the time, buddy. Yeah, it up. yeah, do it. Because well worth your time. Next up is one I can't recommend as strongly. Our uh, token horror film for the week, <laughs> Freaks of Nature. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's funny. This is one of those ones that, like, you first start watching the trailer, you're like, oh, what's this? And by the time you get to the end, it's like, no, that's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sure enough, not that good. I was so confused by this movie. Well, because the whole setup from the beginning, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? That too, but just like, wait, why is this being made? Well, I I could use a little exposition when you start off with, like, all right, so there's this town in America where uh, there are humans, there are vampires, and there are zombies, and they all live together more or less at peace. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need to know, and there's no further <laughs> exposition at any point. Well, what, what, <laughs> what really got me going on, fuck this, was uh, why do zombie kids have to go to school? Yeah. Because <laughs> they're, they're clearly sense. super dumb shits. And, like, 
you know, everything gets shaken up between the three of them when aliens come and invade the town and they're abducting people, like, very aggressively. It's not a X-Files type thing. Right. It's a in- Independence Day type thing. And, uh, and so everyone's like, it's them. They did it. They did it. Which, you know, is one of those, like, conventions you just have to buy in a comedic sense. Right. Uh, to get even past that because there's nobody would come to those conclusions. No. No. <laughs> I, I suppose it... If this had come out in the 80s, it would have made more sense where you're like, oh, you're talking about the Cold War. Yeah. But it makes no sense now. What what really astounded me was the cast because they are the wide array from like, oh, I love that person to like, why is that person here? Well, I mean, there's like, I really enjoyed Mackenzie Davis in this. Who yes. I think is great in Halt and Catch Fire. <laughs> Halt and, and, and Catch Fire. Halt and Catch Fire. And she plays... The uh, the Ali Sheehy character <laughs> from Breakfast Club, basically, yeah. who has decided that she is going to let herself get turned into a vampire, and she's just freshly a vampire. And then uh, you've got, uh, I don't even know what the name of the guy was who was turned into a zombie. Oh, yeah. Because it's the three friends. The guy's not, the nerd. Not Corey Feldman. Is yeah, the <laughs> yeah, the guy's the nerd, the ethnic nerd, who decides he's <laughs> going to become a zombie because he's tired of being so smart. And then you have the main character played by Nicholas Braun, who's just a human, who is like the John Cusack in any given 80s film yeah. character. Except he can pitch. <laughs> yeah, except he can pitch. <laughs> hey, but John Cusack can ski, so. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, you know, it's supposed to be centering around them and... Ultimately, there's almost no chemistry between them at all, and you're yeah. really not sure why the film is making a lot of the decisions it's doing other than, ha-ha, isn't that funny? You're like, not if it makes no fucking sense. The only thing I can think of is uh, a lot of the people that were in this just wanted to hang out and get paid for it. Yeah. I mean, you've got Keegan-Michael Key appearing in here as sort of mm-hmm. like sort of the head spokesman for the vampires, basically, but who's also a douchebag teacher in the school. <laughs> uh, Patton Oswalt is in this thing. Vanessa Hudgens is playing, like, admittedly, pretty sexy like town slut girl mm. in this uh, and you know not trying to slut shame that's what they're she's playing <laughs> the, yeah. the stoner slut chick Dennis Leary is the guy who owns the factory that makes riblets in town what, I was confused what kind of car did his character drive I have no idea oh that's weird did he say yeah, like a million times. Yeah, I don't remember. Mm, I'm I don't. kidding. Oh! Uh, Bob oh. Odenkirk is in this. Joan Cusack is in this. It's got this great cast. And then you're like, why did you think this was the film to do? Yeah. It's, it's when it's trying to be funny. It's not very funny. It's just goofy. Only thing I really laughed at was towards the end where they had Werner Herzog <laughs> play the voice of like one of the aliens. And it, it's very funny, but at the same time you're going... Okay, now this whole film makes sense because basically whoever wrote this is a really raging misanthrope who just (laughs) hates everyone, thinks people are scum, and you're like, so how in the fuck are you supposed to make a funny movie? How is how are you supposed to care about it if it, you don't care about it's it? It's not funny. Everybody's like, and everybody is an asshole and is presented as being an asshole yeah. <laughs> and selfish. And there's never any real solution for it other than, well, I guess we're all just going to have to learn to the fact that we're all unlikable assholes. And I'm wah, like, wah. yeah, I'm not. I'm just not with it. But Joe's being a dying asshole. Well, I was just thinking about Werner Herzog. Yeah, I didn't know that's it. He instills coughing he in me. Instilled coughing in you. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Freaks of Nature, not one of the better horror comedies to come out. Although the effects weren't bad. No, no, they were charming. And it gets pretty gory. 
Yes. Yeah, but you know what? Still very skippable. Uh, I did not give you a chance to see MI5. I apologize, except no, I don't, because oh, it's okay. super dull. All right. Uh, this is actually, well, maybe it wouldn't be if I had actually watched the TV show this is like a movie from. I was wondering if it was related to that. Well, it's only called MI5 here in America. In England, it's called Spooks, the Greater Good. Uh, we can't have the word spooks here. Because no, no, different connotation. connotation. So, uh, but it is, in fact, about the MI5 over there. It's a long-running TV series that was very popular. This is like more of a spin-off of the show than anything in movie form. Okay. Uh, because like, even though Harry Pierce, played by Peter Firth, is in this, who is a, the secondary central character here, uh, he was only in like the first season and then I think the last two or something like that. And then he needed um, some money? I, I guess that's why he came back for the last couple seasons and then in this. Uh, but it introduces the new character here, played by uh, Kit Harrington. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Captain <laughs> Captain Wooden Block Sexy Plant Pants. That's right. Uh, who plays Flowy Hair? Who plays Will Holloway? <laughs> he damn. used to work for MI5, but then his handler and the guy who first brought him in, played uh, Harry Pierce, basically fired him for not a good reason. And he's all whatever, guys. Fuck you. Was it because he straightened his hair out? And it, didn't I, look don't, good? I don't know. Could have been. I, that's worthy of firing him. But now uh, Harry Pierce is off the grid. The MI5 is not sure. Is he turned? What's going on? Is he turned? Is he turned? Is there this new terrorist, uh, Adem Kwasim, played by uh, Elias Gabel, who's also from Game of Thrones. Uh, he was in uh, uh, Dothraki Recaro in seasons one and two. He's playing a very charismatic terrorist that's trying to convince people through bombs and philosophy. Hey, you know what? It, that's really the, the route you got to go, though. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> like, I don't mean to tell you you're job terrorist, but. <laughs> Please don't give terrorists advice. <laughs> it's about razzmatazz. <laughs> Catchphrases. Uh, so he has to track him down. He's also mad at him. And they're like, oh, they've got to figure out their, their, their you know, surrogate father-son issues that they mm. have with each other. And ultimately, there's not a lot of action and mostly when it is, Kit Arrington gets his ass kicked rather quickly. So you're like, why is he the center of this film? <laughs> um, and it's just very slow moving. It's very, I don't know, I, maybe I would have cared about this more if I had seen the show and I was familiar with some of the cameos by other characters well, that on it. if BBC makes a Death in Paradise movie, I will watch it. I have no idea what that it's is. It's an amazing TV series from the BBC. It's a police procedural, but it's in the in the Caribbean. It's wacky. <laughs> Are you, is that serious? Is that a real thing? Yeah. Okay. Why is it called Death in Paris? Paradise. Paradise. Okay. Sorry. Uh, no, okay. Death in Paris is about abortions of, of an heiress. I don't know. At its best here, this does a lot of the, oh, it turns out this person was actually lying and it's all actually about this and this person is a turncoat. And that kind of stuff has a certain amount of interest, but it gets to a point you're like, that makes absolutely no fucking sense. <laughs> There's a lot of that stuff going on here where you're like, why would you go the long way around to get your goals accomplished? Spoken like a not logic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know. MI5. Eh. Eh. Not too into it. Uh, also got to see the dicks from Texas. Okay. Which was uh, not about us. Oh. Huh. Yeah. It was actually about a band called the dicks <laughs> that were a big band in Austin and broke up right before I moved here. Well... 
Congratulations. One of those days you could still see flyers for them on telephone poles mm. <laughs> when I moved here <laughs> that were still like, had other flyers like halfway over them. You could see a little bit of it. But they were like a really influential punk band for a while, uh, partially because they were one of the first, they were really one of the first bands, period, that had an openly gay singer. Oh. You know, it was flamboyantly gay singer who looked like, at this point, looked like Divine. You know, oh, big, nice. overweight, would have mm-hmm. a huge mohawk and the crazy drawn on eyebrows and everything. I love it. Uh, and they were very popular and very well respected. The Buttle Surfers, who were another band in Austin at that time, yep. who were very influential, even have a song called Gary Floyd named after the lead singer of this band. Uh, the documentary is a really terribly made documentary. Oh, that's too that bad. It took 15 years to make, so you were like, what? But it's all like like footage this woman, uh, this director, has been recording over the space of like this time who was like, you know, just basically a big fan of uh, uh, of the of the band. So you've got all these people who sometimes you're not clear that they're the same person because they'll be the interview is separated by ten years mm-hmm. and it switches from one right to the next and doing weird quick edits in the middle of the interview that you would do for audio but you would never do for video <laughs> where it's like where the person will be like saying something and then there'll be an obvious cut with the person's the heads are totally positioned and they'll just say so and then another cut to go to the next sentence. It's Dude, like no, it's, don't do that. That's it's not punk rock, man. It's that's, punk rock. It looks terrible. There's almost no audio editing on this thing it's you could barely hear what people are saying at points i you know this is one of those for die hard dicks fans only or people who really want to get that little piece of obscure punk or austin history that's missing from the chapter book i mean it's interviews with pretty much everybody you think there'd be although strangely with none of the butthole surfers damn yeah but that's part of why i'm like this thing was really amateurishly put together because like the biggest star they have is david yow well you know he's around like he talks to people yeah I mean, Paul Leary's around. King Coffee's around. Doesn't talk to any of them. Kyle's around. Uh, it's really like David Yao is the biggest star they have. And even then, the interview looks like it was done on a cell phone from like 10 years ago. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not a very good documentary, but you know what? If you know it exists and, and you care, you, and you, you, you probably bought it already. So the last film and the giveaway what, what? for this week. And you, you're going to know right off the bat, fans of this website, why we're giving it away. Because <laughs> I fucking hated it. But half <laughs> the rest of the world were passionately in love with it. And you, you guessed it. It's Crimson Peak. This is the latest Guillermo del Toro film. His hyper-gothic romance. Ooh, I like gothic. Yeah, well, you know how Sin City is, like, hyper-noir? Uh, kind of, This is, yeah. like, hyper-gothic in the same You mean kind of the same sense. kind of, like, ugh way? To the, like, let's crank it up to 17. Okay. But this dial only goes to 11. Well, I said 17. Well, the, yeah, we got a half of another one. <laughs> uh, okay, so, just briefly... Mia Wasikowska plays the daughter of a wealthy American businessman, played by Jim Beaver, who we love from Supernatural. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I wish they would find a way to bring him back, but still. Uh, I bet they do. Uh, Whose mother's ghost, we see early on when she's young, visits her and says, Beware of Crimson Peak. The most useless warning ever, for the record. In the context of this film, you're like, boy, it sure would have been helpful, clairvoyant ghost, if you had mentioned, yeah, you're going to need to do some investigative journalism to figure out that the thing you should be aware of is called Crimson Peak. Otherwise, it'll be too late. Uh, I just thought it was referring to puberty. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would have assumed. I'm sure that's what she thought. Right. Um, and she's like, wow, I don't know if the warning was necessary, but it does suck. 
<laughs> um, years later, she's grown up Mia Waskowska. She uh, wants to be an author. Of course, she's not taking all that seriously. She ends up falling for Tom Hiddleston, who is a uh, formerly rich Englishman that owns a decrepit but gigantic mansion in England that's over a clay mine that he is trying to sell to her father. This machine designed specifically for rapidly digging up clay for mining. Because you need clay nowadays. Uh, they fall in love. Uh, uh, but the father doesn't approve. Ultimately, the father gets murdered. She gets all the fortune. She gets married to him. She goes to the house. The house is gorgeous, no question. Uh, but <laughs> everything is so hyper-exaggerated to the point that I laughed out loud in this movie when multiple times when you were decidedly not supposed to be laughing. <laughs> I was not laughing with it. I was laughing at, at it. it, going like, oh, come on. This is so goofy. This is like Tiny Toons version of a gothic romance. Well, now I want to know what the Crimson Peak is. <laughs> it's just the nickname for the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a... If you can't figure out 30 minutes into this film what the secret of Crimson Peak is then you must have fallen asleep or something because <laughs> it is so worn I mean there's just no way to miss it there's no way to not be able to tell everything that's going on and even the way they have this character find out is so like dunderheaded and silly and, and hard to, to swallow you're like the secret documents that reveal all Uh that there's absolutely no reason to hold on to (laughs) at all that there's no one would ever like if you killed your wife, uh-huh. Let's say, for instance, okay, I'm listening. would you keep a set of documents hidden in a file cabinet somewhere in your house that that was like, yes, I killed my wife. Why would you hold on to something like that? Maybe at least give it to a friend. Well, these people hold on to something like that for oh, no okay. reason. And you're like, OK, well, that's really that's just so dumb. I don't even have words. Was was the hedge maze at Crimson Peak actually Pan's Labyrinth? Uh, no, it would have made it more interesting if it was. I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't even think the acting is, but so bad. Uh, I still thought it was funny that Brian, when we were reviewing this, called Jessica Chastain, Jessica Disdain, because that's all she does <laughs> in this movie is nice. just look around snooting at stuff. Huh. Uh, I mean, it's not the acting that's bad so much. Aside from Charlie Hunnam, who's almost <laughs> earnest to the point of you want to just beat him over the head and tell him to shut up. Hmm. Uh, but uh, I just... I thought it was stupid, but I know a lot of you out there love the shit out of this thing, which is why I'm giving away this copy of it. Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> it is filled with extra features. I mean, Guillermo del Toro set this up for fans, including deleted scenes. There's a four-part feature that looks at the, the inspirations, <laughs> design, implementation, purposes, and secrets uh, inside of the film. There's a primer with Del Toro on gothic romance, talking about the genre's history. Uh, there's a look at the film's setting and its color schemes. There's a look at its costumes and the complexities thereof. There is a detailed examination of the house, which is definitely the most interesting thing about this film. Okay. Uh, there is, on that note, there's also a guided tour of said house called Beware of God, Crimson Peak with Tom Hiddleston touring you around the whole Can thing. Can we go there now? No, you cannot. Oh. It has all been torn down. Well, then I hate it. Uh, and there's a look at the ghosts in here, and then there's an audio commentary with Guillermo del Toro, who calls this one of the three best films he's done, and he's wrong. Well, it's, <laughs> it's probably worth listening to only because I love to hear him talk. Do you? Yeah. He was good in the Edgar Allan Poe thing. Yeah, but he's just, uh, he talks so adorably. He, he seems like he's younger than he is when you hear him. That's true. That's he true. sounds like a little kid. Yeah, because he's so excited about everything. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Uh, anyway... 
this is our giveaway this, this week. You're going to want to get on Twitter uh, and tweet at one of us net with the hashtag uh, Crimson Giveaway. <coughs> Mm-hmm. And what do they have to tweet at us to win, Joe? Guys, you got to make the most nonsensy horror title possible. Like, what do you mean? Like Crimson Peak. Like one that people are like, so what is that fucking movie exactly. about? Exactly. Like, make it absurd. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, tuna for lunch. Like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> but it has to at least feel like there's a way you could twist it towards being hard. Okay. Just tuna- not overt. Okay. All right. How about Bubblegum Ice Pick? You know, you so, something like that. There you go. That was perfect. I actually want to see Bubblegum Ice Pick. Okay, now. can I have the movie now? <laughs> anyway, that's it for Digital Noise. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for suffering through your obvious suffering. Hey, guys. I'd like to say I'm sorry for all the coughing, but it hurt a lot more than it does to hear. <laughs> I bet. I'm looking at him. He looks miserable right now. So you know this guy's a trooper. Uh, don't forget to click on those Amazon links. Become a subscriber. Uh, buy st- Sideshow Toys through our links. And uh, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, Fandango Movie yeah, Passes. Yeah, Fandango it, baby. Uh, anyway, until next week, you'll see uh, Richard and Marco talk about all the latest home releases. No release is too big. No release is too small. From You know what? I don't even do this anymore. Why do it? I don't know. I'm not doing it.